Hi, I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. As we begin this morning, before we open God's Word, I invite you to please bow your head with me as we seek the Lord in prayer once again. Father in heaven, this morning we are thankful for the many blessings that we receive daily, but especially for the Sabbath day. For giving us a time that we can set aside just to spend time with you. We worship you for you are a good God, a merciful God, who bestows your mercy and grace to us daily. As we spend time in your word this morning, we ask that your Holy Spirit may be present. I ask for the forgiveness of my shortcomings, forgiveness of my sins, so that I may be used by you this morning. Beg you for your Holy Spirit, so that at the end of our time together, when we leave this place, we may leave with the assurance that you have spoken to each and every one of us through Scripture. May the name of Jesus Christ be glorified, and every man and woman and child here today be uplifted and closer to Jesus. It is my prayer in his precious name, in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I would like to invite you to follow along in the book of John chapter 11, and we'll start at verse 1. John chapter 11, verse 1, and onward, and it reads as follows. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Let us pause there for a moment, meditate on what we just read. Oftentimes when we read this Bible passage, we, we think of uh, Mary or Martha or uh, Lazarus who was sick. Um, but today I would like for us to ponder for a moment, think about the messengers in the story. The Bible doesn't give us any names. We don't know who the messengers were. All we know is that Mary and Martha sent a very specific request to Jesus Christ. Now, it's not just any request. It was a very special request. Mary and Martha's brother was very ill. It was, he was so sick that Mary and Martha feared for their brother's life. So if someone has the answer, if someone has the solution, if someone can come to the rescue, it has to be Jesus Christ. And of course, more so because it's not just anyone asking for help. This is Mary and Martha and Lazarus we're talking about. If you think about it, uh, they have witnessed God do amazing things through his son, Jesus Christ, uh, when he was here. 
Uh, and oftentimes, he was able to deliver people from their infirmities that were strangers to him, if you will. If you recall, there was a man named Simon who would yell in a particular passage in Scripture where he said, Son of David, have mercy on me. And again, he would say, Son of David, please have mercy on me. And the Lord performed a miracle and his eyesight was restored. There's another man who was paraplegic many, many years, and the Lord restored him and made him whole. In fact, there was a time where there was a woman on her way to bury her own son, and as Jesus approaches with his disciples and they meet in the middle of the road, Jesus brings back this child back from the dead. And we can read and on and on, and we'll find out that time after time, these individuals have never met Jesus before, or at least it doesn't give us enough information to uh, arrive to that conclusion that they were friends. But in this particular case, it's not just anybody. In fact, Mary and Martha, was, uh, they were Jesus' special friend. If you recall, there's a passage in Scripture where it specifically says that when Jesus would come through Bethany, he would come spend time at their house, and Martha would take time to prepare that delicious meal that he would love. In fact, she got on her sister Kay's Mary because Mary decided to just spend time with Jesus at his feet. And Martha said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's not helping me? Just have her come. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen the best part, Martha. But that's the type of relationship they had. A, a very close relationship. A, a home away from home for Jesus. Lazarus was a special friend. So now that one of them was in need, special need, there was now someone really needed his help. I mean, if someone's going to answer, of course it's going to be his friend. So imagine now Mary and Martha coming to you. Let's, let's assume for a moment that you and I are the messengers. Mary comes to you or Martha comes to you and says, listen, I want you to go quickly look for Jesus because my brother is not doing very well and I need you to go get him really quick so that he can provide the solution, so that he can come and help my brother, so he can restore his health. Now, if I were the messenger in the story, I, I, I can only imagine that journey from where Bethany was to where Jesus was. It was a, a long one-day journey. In fact, when you get time, go look at the map and try to figure it out. It's about a day's journey. I can imagine that journey, you and I going out there. We're the messengers in the story. We're going to have an encounter with Christ. Um, the anticipation of having an encounter with the creator of the universe. The anticipation of having an encounter with Christ, the anointed one. The anticipation of having an encounter with the only one who has the answer to Mary and Martha's request. After all, it's not just any Mary and Martha. It was Jesus' best friends. So as you and I are going on this journey and having an encounter with Christ, we have this assurance that Jesus is going to answer. We have an assurance that Jesus is not only going to answer, but he's going to answer quickly. And he's going to come with us right away because Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. In fact, we read it. It says, Jesus loved them. John is writing the scripture. As John is putting all the details together, he wants to make sure 
that nothing is left out. It also points out that this is not just any Mary. This is the Mary, the poor perfume on the master's feet. So as you and I are going on this journey, imagine a long day filled with joy and anticipation with the excitement not only of having an encounter with the creator of the universe, a prophecy being fulfilled before our very own eyes, but the excitement that now he's going to walk with us. We're walking back to our friends. And mind you, that if Mary and Martha has asked you to go on this journey, it's because you are very special to Mary and Martha. Because Mary and Martha is not going to ask just anybody to go get Jesus. Mary and Martha had to make sure that she is asking someone they trust, someone they know that will deliver the message, and someone they know that would come back with Christ with the answer. So it's a, a very big responsibility, but after all, you and I know that Jesus loves them, therefore, he will answer. But to our surprise, as we read scripture, the Bible is clear that when messengers got there and delivered the important request, Jesus did not go back with them. He remained silent. I don't know about you, but if I were one of the messengers, I imagine the conversation going something like this. Jesus, uh, perhaps you haven't understood who we are talking about. These are your friends. These are the people whom you love. They are the one asking for help, so let's go. And Jesus chooses to remain silent. And perhaps you know yourself very well. Maybe, maybe you would say something like this, Lord, uh, let me help Eldon out. He, he has left some information out of the request. Uh, this is not just any Mary we're talking about. This is a Mary who poured perfume on your feet. This is the Mary who performed uh, the anointing because she knew that your days are near. Uh, this is the Mary who spent all that money, all her wages, so that she can buy this precious perfume. That's the Mary the one whom you love, Lord, is asking you to come. Would you please follow me? But the Lord chooses to remain there, and he's silent. Maybe one third attempt, and I would come in and say, Lord, listen, yeah, it's Mary who cooks for you all the time. I'm sorry, Martha, and it's Mary who pour perfume. But this is, this is Lazarus. This, this, is, this is one of your closest friends. This is where you like to hang out whenever you go through Bethany. This is the Lazarus we're talking about. He really needs you, Lord. He is hurting. He is sick. I've seen him with my very own eyes. He's laying in bed, and he needs you, Lord. The Bible says that he chooses to remain where he's at. Think about the journey back. If you and I were the messengers in the story. Now we're going back to Bethany, no longer filled with excitement, no longer filled with joy, perhaps filled with regrets, thinking, did we miss something? Didn't we share something we had to? Why did Jesus choose to remain silent? Why didn't he come with us? We thought he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And think about that long journey back to have that encounter with our friends just to tell them that Jesus is not coming. Perhaps you can relate to this. Maybe some of you have prayed for someone who you loved who was battling cancer. Perhaps they said, listen, I know you go to church on Sabbath, I know that you are a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, 
and that you have a relationship with God, surely God is gonna listen to you. Would you deliver a message to God for me? My grandmother is uh, fighting cancer. Would you please ask God to deliver my grandmother? And you as a a strong Seventh-day Adventist believer in Christ, solid Christian, come before the Lord at night and in the morning throughout the hours of the day and say, Lord, my co-worker's grandmother is ill. She's fighting cancer. Would you please come to her aid? She's been a long life believer in Christ, and she's now needing your help. And for whatever reason, the Lord seems to remain silent. Time passes, and grandmother doesn't make it. And the question is, where was God? Why didn't he answer? Was there something wrong with the messengers? Or was there something wrong with the grandma? Or perhaps the daughter, or granddaughter? And we start to ask these questions, trying to figure out why is it that God sometimes remains silent, especially when it is clear that the Bible has, from the beginning to the end, described his love, mercy, and grace. We talked last night how much he loves us. We talked last night how merciful and how filled with grace he is. If you came last night as we make the appeal, recommitting your life to Jesus Christ, those of you who were here, understanding that God loves you, his mercy is sufficient, his grace goes beyond man's understanding. And somehow, you go back to your, to your dorm room, sometimes you go back to your, to your house if you are faculty and staff, and the question remains, well, if God is love, his mercy is, is, is sufficient, if he's, if he's a, a, a gracious God, will he, then he answer my prayer? Because the last thing I want is for me to go back to Montana, and for those of you who came forward, be disappointed in the next few days because you're still waiting for the Lord to answer your prayer. Perhaps some of you are in your last year of your college days, praying that God will find that significant other in your life before you go. After all, you came to a Seventh-day Adventist institution because you want to be able to leave with a godly committed significant other. Time is ticking, it's passing by, and that special someone hasn't arrived. Perhaps some of you are dealing with other issues, and you've been praying that God will will somehow answer that special request. Maybe some of you who are going to school here, and you're taking your classes, there's some heavy issues going back home. You've heard the word divorce come, creeping into your house. You know things aren't going well back home. You worry about your little sibling who's uh, having to hear the arguments back home. Perhaps that already took place. And there's a single parent taking care of your sibling back home. And you're praying, asking that God somehow will deliver them from the pain and the struggle. And see, the closer we get to the second coming of Christ, things are not going to get any better. But the question is, is our faith going to remain strong till the very end? Are we going to be able to, to say, as Isaiah did, as we read earlier, my ways are not your ways. And I, trust me, I know what I'm doing. So going back to the story, if I were one of the messengers, I can imagine me looking at you and say, you know, you tell, you deliver the message because I I can't tell them. How am I going to tell Mary and Martha that Jesus is not coming? And if you're anything like me, you will probably say, no, Eldon, you tell them. I'm not going to tell them. 
Somehow the message did get to Mary and Martha. Imagine how painful that must have been. Imagine the conversation of the messengers with Mary and Martha. I can imagine Martha saying, Eldon, but did you tell Jesus that it was me who constantly takes care of him when he stops by? And of course I would say, yes, I told him that. And then maybe Mary looks at you and says, but, but did you tell him it was me who poured perfume on the master's feet? And you will say, yes, I told, I told him that, but he still chose to remain there. And as you see Mary and Martha agonizing over the fact that Jesus didn't make it, the reality is that their brother is dead and there's nothing that can be done. But I praise God that the biblical account doesn't end there. The Lord did remain silent, and he decided to stay there two more days. However, in his time, the Bible goes on to say that he invited his disciples to go with him. And he reads, verse 7, And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews were trying to stone you, and yet you are going back? Notice the answer of the disciples. Jesus wants to take them on a faith journey. Jesus wants his disciples to, to, to be able to experience firsthand the wonders of the Almighty. He wants his disciples to experience the answer of prayer. But somehow the disciples were also concerned. They were worried for their own life. And now we see that there's doubts all over the place. Doubts in the minds of the messengers that came back and said, well, I, I doubt them that he loved them because otherwise he would have come. Doubt in the mind of those who were pleading, Mary and Martha, who says, well, does, does he really love me then? And then doubt on the disciples wondering whether or not they should even go. Because in fact, the response says, Lord, they tried to stone you and now you are going back? The disciples don't say, uh, Lord, they tried to stone you and now you want us to go back? They don't even want to be a part of this. And for those of you who are uh, considering your Christian walk with the Lord, as we read scripture, it is clear that God takes us on amazing journeys, and sometimes they don't make sense, and sometimes they may be scary. But when God says, let's go, I guarantee you, time and time again, you're ready for an amazing miracle that is yet to happen. The disciples eventually, after trying to get, in, try to get away from the invitation, Jesus explains to them the importance of trusting. And then he says, listen, our friend Lazarus is asleep. I want to go. And then the disciple says, listen, if he's sleeping, then he's going to get well and so forth. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm talking about death. He's dead, but, but, but I'm glad that I wasn't there. And it's interesting because he gives the reason why. He says, I'm glad that I wasn't there, but for the glory of God and so the Son of God may be glorified through it, let's go now. So there's a purpose in all this. The disciples don't get it. Mary and Martha don't get it. The messengers most likely won't, don't get it. But in God's master plan, there is a reason why he sometimes chooses to remain silent. And so eventually, he goes. And as he goes out there, Martha immediately meets him. And the words that come out of her mouth are the following, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. That shows the character of this woman, perhaps hurt, confused, wondering why is it that God is not answering? Why didn't you come, Lord, in other words? 
And, and now Jesus is trying to have a conversation, is ministering to her. And he says, I am the resurrection. Whoever believes in me, even if, I, if they're dead, they will come back to life. Do you believe this, Martha? And Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe this. This will happen in, in the future. It is clear that they understood the biblical passage, but it was also clear that she didn't know what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was about to perform one of the greatest miracles of all time. And as Jesus is talking to her eventually, uh, she comes to her senses and then he, he tells Martha to go talk to her sister. And so she quickly goes to Mary and, and, and then Mary hears the words of her sister when she says, the master wants to talk to you. Quickly she gets up, the Bible says, and then she runs to where Jesus is. The difference between Mary and Martha is not the words they say because they say the exactly same words. The difference is the reaction. Mary quickly falls on her knees and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. When Jesus sees her struggling, her journey, her brokenness, he asks, where have you put him? As they go through this process, Jesus begins to cry as well. And it's a very powerful image when I read scripture because it reminds me that when you cry, God is crying there with you. Yesterday, last night, we talked about the fact that God delights in showing, what everyone? Mercy, right? Great joy, great satisfaction. But today, I want you to know that he also cries when you cry. He hurts when you hurt. He understands your pain. He understands your struggles. And if he's longing and willing to accept you just the way you are and begins to work that transformation in your life, it's because he loves you. So if he loves you, then he cries when you cry. He hurts when you hurt. So Jesus in this biblical account is, is crying when, when he looks at the pain and he feels or struggle. And obviously he loved Lazarus. In fact, as you read scripture, I invite you to keep reading that when you get back home in detail. And it says that when people looked at Jesus crying, what they said was, oh, how much he loved him. But they said, couldn't he who healed the other sick come and heal his friend? Again, doubt comes in. See, my brothers and sisters and friends, uh, Satan is really good at putting doubts in our heads, especially when it comes to the person of the divinity, person of Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the anointed one. And he begins to win a battle when you and I begin to doubt. And now, this particular biblical account is, hits home for me, very real, because I went on a journey where I too doubted whether or not God cared. I remember when I was uh, in college, like you guys, I was praying for a significant other. Year one came by and, uh, and went, second year as well, Third, I was in my fourth year and I didn't have a significant other yet. Someone whom I would marry. But I was praying that God would bring someone into my life that would have the uh, same values, 
and they would have uh, the same desire that I had. The desire of my heart was to be a father early in my marriage. I respect those that want to wait two or five years. I think there is, there is uh, wisdom in doing that as well. But I personally wanted to be a dad right away. See, my father died when I was five years old. So there was a portion of my life where I did not have a father. And, and, I, didn't, and, and, and I didn't want to wait long, but I just wanted to be a dad right away. God blessed me with uh, the amazing uh, father. My mother remarried a wonderful pastor whom I love dearly. And after that, God has also put in my life spiritual fathers. I've been adopted spiritually by many godly men whom I care uh, deeply. One of them actually is from, from this area and this institution. Perhaps you've heard his name, Dr. Saman. How many of you guys know Dr. Saman? Yeah. Very, very special and dear to me. And so I appreciate godly men that have adopted me as their spiritual son. But that doesn't change the fact that there was a chapter in my life that there was no father. So I said, Lord, I want to be a father. I want to be a father right away as soon as I get married. So when the Lord asked my prayer and gave me a, a wife that also believed the same way I did, she also wanted to have a child early in our marriage, I said, hallelujah, we're going to have a baby, honey. And so we prayed our hearts out and uh, trusted that God will answer our prayer, and sure enough, she became pregnant. So this is exciting. Um, when my, my wife was pregnant, I remember picking up the phone. Hey, mom, how's it going? And as I'm talking to her, I'm sharing with her the fact that she is, uh, she's pregnant. And my, my mom is excited, and I said, you're going to be a grandma. She says, what? Yeah, you're going to be a grandma. But unfortunately, um, she didn't like the idea of being a, a young um, grandma. She didn't like the title. She liked the idea, but not the title. And uh, as we were so excited waiting for the amazing day, unfortunately, my, uh, my wife started to show some symptoms that things weren't going all that great. And unfortunately, we end up losing that child. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to go through. I didn't, I didn't, uh, didn't understand why God would allow such a thing to happen. And um, time went by, and I had the pain in my heart. I, I, I seen my wife cried, and, and I couldn't understand why he would allow such a thing to happen. But then, time went by, and time heals when you trust in the Lord. Uh, my wife got pregnant again. So I remember uh, picking up the phone once again. I said, Mom, just want you to know that you're going to be a grandma. And guess what? The most exciting thing is that God is not only giving us one child, but you're going to be a grandmother of two because we're having twins. And it was a great celebration. Our church members were so excited because they said, this is amazing. Uh, the Lord is, uh, has answered our prayer. They're going to have one more child. And uh, that only lasted for a little while. But unfortunately, uh, my wife ended up losing one of the twins. And now we're praying, asking that God will help save that little one that is in her tummy. Praying. So, Lord, would you please save that little one? And we would say, Lord, 
We know you love us. We know you care. Would you please save that baby? Our members would get together. In fact, church service on Wednesday per night uh, in the middle of the week was filled with our members, and they would pray, and then they would say things like, Lord, him whom you love is seeking you for deliverance. Would you please save that baby? And unfortunately, we end up losing that baby as well. It was so painful, you guys. But somehow I just thought, well, God in his plans, as we read with Isaiah, my plans are not your plans, my ways are not your ways. And... But deep inside, I started to have some mixed emotions. In my head, I knew that, but in my heart, I'm wondering, does he really care? Then my wife gets pregnant again with the passing of time. And now that she's pregnant, we didn't tell anybody because we didn't want anyone to, to be worried and, and, and concerned and, until we couldn't hide it anymore. So eventually the word got out, my mom found out, and all of our church members, and you can see it and hear it. <sighs> members were struggling. They were nervous for us. They were praying that God would do a miracle. Time started passing by. Somehow I had that hope in my heart that God was going to answer. After all, he loves me, right? He loves my wife. And every night I would pray, say, Lord, please, I don't know why the other three die, but just save this one, please, would you, Lord? Thank you. We were going to the doctors back and forth, and unfortunately, things started to go bad again. Things weren't working out. And now uh, we had to, instead of once a week, we had to go several times a, a week um, to look at how the child was doing. In one of those visits, unfortunately, the baby didn't make it and die. Now, the hard part about this particular loss is that they were not able to help my wife deliver this baby, so we had to go back home with a dead baby. Imagine that journey back home. I was crying so much, you guys, that I had to pull over because I wasn't able to look at the road as I'm driving. I couldn't speak to my wife. I had already claimed all the Bible promises that I knew. I had already prayed all the prayers. And now you start wondering, maybe it's not that he just doesn't care. Maybe, there's, maybe I'm not one of his loved ones. Talk about a pastor who's going through this journey, you guys. Someone who's dedicated his life for service, for ministry. I had to go through that dark valley. Started with, well, he knows. Um, started doubting. And eventually just being disconnected completely. Preaching on Sabbath was horrible. Having to stand up and preach before our church members with a broken heart. Wondering if God really cares. I remember when we got home, uh, my wife went straight to the kitchen, started preparing a meal. And I was in the living room. The Bible was sitting on the table. I couldn't reach it. I've claimed every promise. I couldn't read the Bible. Have that ever happened to you that you're so filled with pain that you don't even have the strength to open scripture? Spurred of prophecy books on the shelf. Couldn't pick one up. Couldn't pray a prayer. I was angry. I was upset. Have you been upset at God before? He says he hasn't answered your prayer. And I, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't figure out why would he allow such a thing to happen. And then 
I started thinking, should I get up and, and hug my wife or should I stay here? Because see, the previous days I would go behind her when she was cooking and I would put my hand on her tummy. Well, I would sing to the baby. But I knew that if I went behind her and put my hand on her tummy, that she would probably start crying and, it was, and I wouldn't have any words to tell her because I ran out of Bible promise. I ran out of prayers. I did not know how to minister to my own wife. But somehow I knew that my responsibility as a man and as a husband was to be with her during these terrible moments in our lives. So I got up and I went behind her and I held her. As soon as I did that, she started crying, you guys. Crying like I've never seen her cry before because we both knew that there was a dead baby inside of her. Her knees started to collapse and I managed to grab her and I said, listen, let's get out of this house. There was a lot of memories in that apartment complex. See, every time she got pregnant, she would pick up a blank blanket, actually started knitting a blanket. And when we would lose a child, she would put it away. She would get pregnant, she would start it again. We had a little room, a baby room. We had a special cradle. Um, she had spent months, and of course it translated into years, preparing for this baby that never arrived. So going from the kitchen to the master bedroom, we had to see that room, so I shut it. But we knew what was in there. Only unanswered prayers, filled with pain. So we left the house and we went for a walk. As I'm walking, she again starts to shake. She's crying and she's weak in her legs and her knees. And so as we walk and she eventually collapsed and I held her and we just laid on, on the grass. And we're looking up in the sky and look at the stars. And the only thing I can pray was, Lord, help me. Short and simple prayer. Eventually I managed to say, Lord, save me. And the following phrase was something like along the lines of, please help me help my wife, give us peace. And you won't believe this, you guys. I did not hear a voice. I did not hear an audible voice, but I did feel something I've never experienced in my life up to that point. And something just gave me a sense of peace like never before. And then my wife squeezed my hand, and she said, she's, I, I asked her, do you feel that? And she says, yes. And I said, what is it? And I said, maybe this is what Paul talks about when he writes the letter to the Philippians. The peace that surpasses man's understanding. And the reason why is the peace that surpasses man's understanding is because it doesn't make sense for you to have peace in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your problems. It does not make sense because a normal human reaction is to be angry, to be upset at God, to just forget about God altogether because after all, if he doesn't answer, we equate that to he doesn't care. But see, we read in Scripture that when John starts writing the biblical account, he specifically says in the first few verses that Jesus loved Mary and Martha. And later it says, the ones whom you love. And then the, the, the people witnessing says, oh, how much he loved him. I mean, it is evident throughout the entire chapter that Jesus loved them. And it is only... When he begins to work in your life and you experience that peace that surpasses man's understanding, that you realize the fact that he loves you doesn't mean that I'm not going to go through struggles. But it does mean that he will fulfill his promise, that he will give me the strength and the peace that surpasses man's understanding as I'm going through the struggle. 
And in his time, not my time, in his time, he will answer our prayer. And sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is, hold on there. Just like in scripture, he decided to say how many days? Two days. Now, something I didn't tell you about the biblical account that I left out on purpose is the following. From where Martha was, Mary and Lazarus, to where Jesus was, is a day's journey, right? Jesus decided to stay there how many days? Two days, right? Which means one of the days is the day that you and I would go back as messengers, plus the day he decided to stay, that's three days. And the day we took Jesus to go back and meet with them, that's day number four. So when Jesus says, what have you laid on? And the answer was, Lord, let's not open and remove the, to- the-, the rock from the tomb because he-, he smells. He's been dead for how many days? How many days? Four days. That tells me that as the messengers are going to tell Jesus that Lazarus was ill, he was dying and pretty much gone. If Jesus had gone with you and I as the messengers, and if he had answered, this is perhaps one of the most amazing revelations that, as I read, spoke to me. See, if Jesus would have answered, and he would have come with us, it would have been day number two. Back in Bible times, there was this idea that even today some believe that when you die, your spirit just flying around. And, and, and back in Bible times, they would believe that your spirit uh, can change its mind and says, you know what, I kind of don't like the spiritual world. I'm going to go back to my body, right? And would go inside. Day number two, the spirit could change and come back. Day number three, uh, but named number four, there's no way that would ever happen. So when Jesus told the disciples, I am glad that, you, that, that I wasn't there. So the God would be glorified and the Son of Man would be glorified through it as well. There was a plan all along. See, God needed to take the, the glory in this whole process. And therefore, he chose to stay there two more days because there is a reason. There is a time frame that needed to take place. And eventually, then when Jesus showed up and, and, and they removed the stone, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came to life. Oh, I can imagine the joy when Lazarus came forth. Everything coming together. And Mary and Martha now saying, well, after all, he is the almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. After all, he is the word who became flesh. After all, he is the Messiah. After all, he is who he said he is. After all, he does care. After all, he does love me. I remember when uh, my wife got pregnant after that experience. Um, We were very scared because what happened is after my wife and I got back home, she managed to finish the, preparing the meal, believe it or not. And, and then the following day, we drove to the hospital, and she had to deliver the baby that was dead. I was all alone in the hospital, and I was crying my heart out. I hope and pray that, that, that you consider praying for your pastors from time to time because pastors do hurt as well. They're sinners saved by grace just like you, and we all need each other. I remember being in that room all alone, crying, hurting, I, I was praying. I said, Lord, I wish I could hear your voice. And believe it or not, the phone rings. And it was uh, one of my spiritual fathers who had adopted me, a pastor. And he says, Eldon, how you doing? I said, I'm doing really bad. I'm hurting. 
I feel like I'm lost. And he stayed with me the entire surgery. When my wife is out there, he was with me on the phone, reading Bible promises, praying for me, giving me courage. And he says, Eldon, you need to be strong when your wife comes out. You need to be able to minister to your wife. Not because you're a pastor, but because you are her husband. You need to be there for her now that she needs you the most. And, she, and his words and his prayers and the Bible reading actually did help me. I was, I was a, a, a little bit strong enough to be able to minister to my wife, enough to be able to pray with my, my wife. And all I can say is, honey, somehow I think it's going to be all right. Let's just move on. So we prayed. And eventually, with time passing, my wife got pregnant again. Now that my wife got pregnant, again, we didn't tell anybody. We didn't want anyone to worry. It's been such a long journey, scary journey, that uh, eventually uh, we couldn't hide it any longer. And now, members are starting to get worried. They're thinking that we're crazy, uh, that we should have just gone a different route. And uh, fast forwarding, nine months later, my wife is, is ready to deliver a child. And I tell you, for me, it was very exciting. Every day we would go walking early in the morning and late at night and sometimes in between the day because I, have, I had read and, and the doctors have mentioned that the more you walk, the more you, 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 you prepare uh, the, the, the mother and it may help hasten the, the, the delivery of a child. And so every night I would say, honey, how, how long before a baby comes? She's like, I don't know. Anytime soon, I guess. I don't know. And we would have these conversations until one day she woke up in the middle of the night. I would think maybe three or four in the morning. And she said, honey, it is time. And I said, time for what? And she said, uh, the baby, the baby's here. I said, oh, my goodness. And you won't believe this, you guys. Um, I did not give her a kiss. I did not give her a, a hug. Till this day, I still don't know why I did this. But I remember getting up quickly, went straight to the closet and put a suit on and a tie. <laughs> and then as soon as I came out, I said, baby, how come you're not ready? Let's go. And so I helped her out, got in the car, drove to the hospital. It was an exciting journey just driving because I know that I was going to see that baby. And as I'm going, uh, uh, driving as fast as I could, uh, when we got there, there was uh, someone waiting with a wheelchair. And she sits and I'm ready to push and says, no, sir, you may not enter. You have to sign all this, these documents. And I said, what do you mean you have to sign documents? Yeah, so that we can treat your wife. I said, I've been to Lamas class, I've been to all these uh, appointments. No one ever told me that I needed to sign papers. But anyways, so I tell you, I didn't read any document. I just started saying yes, yes, and just signed everything. Wanted to go quickly, went with my wife, and then minutes turned into an hour. Hour turned to two, three, four. I figured I better go read what I signed. So I went back down, read the papers, all looked good, came back. Six, seven, eight. 10, 12, 14 hours later, it was time. I remember we had uh, everything planned out. I was so excited. I wanted to cut the umbilical cord. And the doctor said, when the baby comes out, I'll give you the, the tools and you go through the process. I says, yes, let's do this. And I was very excited. The baby comes out and I cut the umbilical cord. They give the baby to my wife for a few seconds, but then they took the baby away. And she said the following word, girls. And quickly the nurses came, took the baby, and I looked at my wife and I saw in her face that same look of agony that I've seen the past 
experiences. I look at the baby, lungs were collapsing. Raised the hand and dropped. The foot dropped. And uh, baby wasn't responding. So quickly they're removing the baby away from the room. I looked at my wife and, and I had to make a decision. Do I follow the baby? Do I sit with my wife? And somehow I felt I needed to follow the baby. So I followed the baby. And everything happened so quickly. They went into this emergency room. And as they went in, I went with them. I was not supposed to be there, but I went there with them. And as I'm looking at the baby putting all kinds of tubes in her nose and mouth and trying to find a vein and poking her feet, and as she's there laying, I couldn't understand why God would allow that to happen. And I looked up, and as I'm looking up, it was a baby's uh, hospital section, and so there, there was a, a wallpaper all around the room. And as I'm looking, there, there it was, a, a lion and an elephant and a giraffe and cartoons. And, and, and at that moment, for the first time, I talked to God, not as the creator of the universe, but as my father. I See, I told you that I lost my father when I was five, right? So trying to identify God as my father, I had never clicked. I knew it here, but not in my heart. And as I'm there, I remember crying, and I said, I believe that you are the creator of the universe. I believe that you created all these things. I believe in Genesis account. And today I believe that you're my dad too. I want to be a dad just like you do. And if it's your will, would you please save my child? But if not, let your will be done. All I ask is for peace that surpasses man's understanding. You've done it once. And it helped me help my wife. To make long story short, a few days later, we were able to take that child home. And, uh, and just a few months ago, I, uh, I dropped her off here at Southern Adventist University for her first year of college. And uh, she's sitting right here in the front row. Um, who would have thought that God would answer that prayer many years later? I'm telling you, when, when we dropped her off here and I got in a car drive, to drive back to Chicago, and from there we flew to Montana, it was filled with emotions because as a father, you have a very short lifespan with your kids, right? Once they get to college, you know they only come home for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and after that, they get married and they leave. But I tell you, I've had the most amazing 18 years with my kid. And we, we've enjoyed the time together, and when I was invited to come and speak, um, I'm sure people... People didn't know that my kid was going to be here. And deep inside, I'm saying, yes, I get to see my kid in October before Thanksgiving. So I've been able to hang out and spend some time with my child. And it's been the greatest journey ever. You know, after my daughter was born, my wife lost another child in between. But God gave me a second child. And I have an image I'd like for you to see. Um, these are... My two little ones, my wife, Jenny, and our little dog, Precious. Um, 
I can tell you that life is not always easy. You, you deal with very difficult challenges. But when we trust in, in the Lord and go on this faith journey, sometimes we have to wait. For Mary and Martha, it was four days. For my wife and I, it was four years. For some of you, maybe 40 years. Um, and for some, even more. But the question is, whether it is four days, four years, or 40 years, what is going to be our reaction as we spend time with our Lord, whom we profess to love and worship? Today, I would like to encourage you to consider this. If God loves you so much, as the Bible says it does, then because he loves you, he knows when he answers and how he's going to answer. And as we go on this faith journey, if he does not answer the way we want him to answer, it's because in his master plan, at the end of the day, still what's best for us. Even something as painful as praying for someone whom we love who's in the hospital. Because see, our life is not just on this earth. We live here on a, 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 it's just a small chapter in the midst of eternity. And yes, as the messenger, sometimes you and I will pray for someone who's in the hospital, for a grandma who's fighting cancer, for a father who's abusing his wife. I mean, we pray for all these things, and sometimes we feel that he's not listening, but not only is he listening, he's crying with us, and when he intervenes, regardless of how he chooses to, at the end of the journey, he restores that which is broken. And when he comes, we will be able to see our loved ones again who passed away. And what an amazing reunion that's going to be. Something that will surpass our understanding. Sister White says that eternity won't be enough to understand his love, his mercy, and grace. But he has to start today. So if there's someone this morning who perhaps feels like, like God doesn't love you. Or perhaps there's a student here who feels like, I'm giving up. I don't even know if he really cares. You just come because, you know, after all, you come to Southern Avenue University, maybe you have to get your points for the day or whatever the case may be. I would like to invite you to give God a chance. Give him another chance. Trust that he not only cries with you, but he has an answer for you, exactly what you need in the time that he has set aside. And I'd like to make a very special appeal this morning as we close. Perhaps there's someone who has been praying for a loved one like the messengers, and you're longing for the Lord to answer that prayer on behalf of someone you love. If that's something that is weighing heavy on your heart, today I'd like to have a very special word of prayer, and I'd like for you to come and join me. You're not coming before a preacher, but you're coming with me before the Lord for a special request. So if there's anyone that have been praying that God would answer a specific request, on behalf of someone you love, I'll invite you to join me up front. Perhaps there's someone who has been praying for someone special in your own life. Uh, and the Lord seems not to be answering. I invite you to come and join me as well. Perhaps there's someone who's hurting right now and praying for forgiveness. You feel that uh, there's some hidden sin in your life and you think that's the reason why he hasn't answered. You know, it may or may not be the case. But you know, it is written in God's word that when we come before the Lord, 
trusting in his love and his mercy and his grace. We read yesterday that he delights in showing mercy. And today we're going to claim his mercy for you and for those whom you love. That when we leave this place, we may leave with that sense of peace. That God has heard our plea. Anyone else? I invite those of you in your pews to kneel down with those of us here in the front as we seek the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for, the, for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace. Thank you for the gift of salvation and the assurance of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, this morning, several of my brothers and sisters have come forward alongside with me seeking your presence. There's some here, Father, that have been praying for some of whom they love that is hurting, laying in the hospital, longing for you to work out a miracle. Father, we know you've done these things in the past. We've heard other people share stories of how you answer their prayer. Father, we want to tell our story. We want to be able to witness of what you have done in our life. We want to be able to say how great you are. And sometimes it's hard when, when, when it seems that you... You're not paying attention. But thank you that today we have been reminded that you are paying attention, that you are listening, and not only listening, but that you are crying with us when we cry. And Father, we thank you that today we have been reminded that if at times it appears that you're silent, it's just because you're working. You're working on something very special for each and every one of us, even if it means answering our prayer after death. Lazarus, Father, he died waiting our response from Lazarus perspective you never came because he died nevertheless after death you appeared after death you restored him and father yes for some of us maybe our loved ones will pass away but we thank you that that's not the end of the story we thank you that they will come back to life for we have the assurance in Jesus Christ that those who die in Christ will rise first but if at all possible, Father, if there's someone who's ill, someone who's hurting, we beg you, in the name of Jesus Christ, first of all, that you will forgive our sins. If we have fallen short in any way, in thoughts and words and actions, that you forgive us, Lord, cleanse us. Show you your mercy, as we read yesterday. And Father, having the assurance that our sins have been forgiven, now we we come to you and ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would please answer our prayer, that you would respond, respond to the prayers of my fellow friends, brothers and sisters who are here with me in this holy place. And when we leave this place, Lord, that we may rejoice when you, when you answer our prayer. And if anyone needs to go on a journey with you where you would take a little longer to answer, may you give that person the strength they need to continue to hold on allow them to grow strong in their faith restore that which is broken if is their faith put it together if is their love towards you please reignite that love in her heart and lord we promise that if anything happened in our lives 
that is good. We will give you the honor and the glory for you are the only one who is worthy to be praised. So Father, bless us as we leave this place. Is our prayer without the serving, but in Jesus' holy name, we pray and thank you. And everyone here says, Amen.